Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. At Alma, we know the connection between you and your therapist matters. But if you're already feeling stressed and burnt out, the idea of trying to find a therapist you really connect with can be overwhelming. That's why Alma's focused on helping you find the right therapist for you. When you browse their online directory, you can filter by the qualities that are most important to you. Then book free 15-minute consultations with any therapist you're interested in seeing. And because 95% of therapists at Alma accept insurance, you can find care that's affordable to You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash therapy30 to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash therapy30. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rise Together podcast. I am excited uh, and a little nervous, to be honest. We're going to talk about sex today with uh, co-authors of a brand new book called Sex Talks. Vanessa Marin and Xander Marin. They're here to uh, talk about all the things. It is a little strange. Uh, I was just telling them off camera before we started. Uh, I'm recording this episode in my parents' house. And if you told me, coming from where I've come from with sex talks that I've had, that uh, I'd be recording a conversation with therapists talking about sex, about a book talking about sex in the house that my parents reside in, I'd have said you were crazy, but here we are. Uh, Vanessa <laughs> is a licensed psychotherapist. She specializes in sex therapy. She's got a bachelor's in human sexuality and sociology from Brown University and a master's in counseling psychology. She's written for the New York Times, Allure, and Lifehacker, and has been featured many times in big pub publications like Oprah Daily, Harper's Bazaar, Vogue, and Real Simple. And Xander... Well, he's just a regular dude who left a cushy career in tech once he realized that it was more fun to talk about sex with his wife all day. He's here to show you that you don't need a graduate degree or a license to have extraordinary communication skills. You just need to have an open mind and willingness. Please welcome Vanessa and Xander to the Rise Together podcast. Welcome to Rise Together. My name's Dave Hollis. I'm the host of this show where we're going to hopefully have you feeling a little more normal in this, the human experience. Maybe see yourself even in some of the stories that are told or have your appreciation of what it means to be human expanded by someone who's come on as a guest who's had a different life experience. In all of it, we are trying our best in community to learn from each other, to grow, and maybe even have a little bit more compassion for what it's like to walk in each other's shoes. When we do, we all rise together. Hey, hey Dave, we're so excited to be here. Thanks for having us. I'm super excited that you're here. Um, before I get into being weird about being in my parents' house and talking <laughs> about my my first sex talk, <laughs> uh, I tried to give just a little headline into kind of who you are and how you're here. But in your own words, could you, for people who are less familiar with your work, just give a little bit of background on how you found yourself in this work 
and a question I ask everybody who comes on the show, how you feel like the work that you're doing is you living into your purpose on this planet? I initially got interested in the field of sex therapy because of the talk with my parents. It was very awkward. My parents, basically their version of the talk was, if you have questions, you can ask us. But it was very clear to me in that moment that what they were really saying was, please, for the love of God, do not ask us anything. We don't want to <laughs> talk about it. And I had no idea that sex therapy existed at the time, but I was very struck in that moment of how embarrassed they seemed. And I had a lot of questions. I wanted to talk about it. So I kept coming back to that belief over and over again and eventually decided to make a career out of helping people talk about sex. So that's what the book's all about. That's what we do together now. So we have a business where we really focus on helping couples keep the spark alive in long term relationships. So I've known that this has been part of my mission basically since that first conversation. And it brings me so much joy and fulfillment every time we get to hear a story from someone in our community saying, you inspired me to have this conversation. I had the best sex of my life last night. All the stories are so great to hear. So you know, me, on the other hand, I never had any idea that I would have anything to do with this. When I met Vanessa, she was training to be a sex therapist. I thought that was super cool because, you know, what guy wouldn't want to tell their other guy friends like, hey, I'm, I'm dating a sex therapist. Like, that sounds pretty cool, right? But the thing is, is that I didn't, I felt a little uncomfortable when it came to actually talking about sex, about our, the like the sex that we were having. That felt like a really uncomfortable thing, but I was I was happy to talk with Vanessa about, you know, sex therapy as a career. I thought that was really interesting. I just never thought we'd be talking about our own sex life. Um, what happened was over time, I started helping Vanessa out as her online business started growing and I started doing more of the operational things and, you know, kind of quickly started managing the operations of our growing business. And I totally thought that was all that I was going to do. But Vanessa started asking me if I might do some Instagram stories or some coaching calls and stuff like that. And I was like, no one wants to hear from me. What, what do I know? I haven't done any of this training. I don't have any value to add, but she, she would start asking me a question here or there. Like she'd record a story and then she'd turn to me and be like, Hey, Xander, what do you think about this? And I started I tricking him. Yeah, <laughs> it was tricking him into slowly joining. <laughs> it was, it was really subtle, but uh, yeah, then, and but I started to realize that, you know, people actually do like to hear the regular guy's perspective or, you know, the partner that doesn't have any training because it's it's one thing to get advice from someone, you know, a professional or whatever. It's another thing to get advice, but also like, hey, this is how it works in our relationship. We've struggled with this, too. And as I started getting really positive feedback from people about how how much more open they were to trying some of these things when they could see that we were actually doing it ourselves and leading with vulnerability. Then I started realizing, okay, I think I do, I do have a place here. So it's, it's really cool to get to be able to do this. So cool. I relate, you know, like in my marriage, when I was married, uh, we did not actually dive into and have a lot of conversation about sex. And there was a a casualty to intimacy or some of what would have otherwise been better sex if we'd been willing to have it. And I'm wondering in the work that you do, if you can identify why in the world this is such a hard thing for us to have a conversation about. I, I'll just say for me, if there was a thing that I really wanted, or if there was a thing that I was not feeling great about, 
I think I was so concerned with hurting the feelings of my partner that I didn't want to bring it up or I was a little uncomfortable owning the fact that I wanted a thing that could be in the delivery of this, hey, I want this thing, um, rejected or made make me in some way feel weird for liking something that maybe isn't necessarily yeah. on the menu for the other person. Um, but what's your experience with why this is such a hard conversation to even have, even if it's inside of a marriage, like people that have been together forever, why is it still so hard? Mm -hmm. Oh, so much to unpack there. So let's start with the question of why is it hard? It's because we don't have any examples or any role models. I mean, if you think about every sex scene you've seen on TV and in the movies, you never see characters talking to each other about the sex they're having. And so when we see this scene unfold time and time and time again, we internalize that belief that we shouldn't have to talk about it. If I've met my person, if we have great chemistry, we shouldn't need to talk about it. And we have this belief that talking about it is a bad thing. It's a sign that something is wrong or off. So then when it comes to specific things that we might want to request or desires that we have, we don't have any foundation of having those conversations. It's not a comfortable topic. It's not something that we're discussing regularly. So a lot of us feel extra pressure when we have something specific we want to share with our partner. And in our heads, it can feel really scary. Like it can sound like it's going to be an insult to my partner. It's going to hurt them. It's going to upset them. And sometimes it can even come out that way, too, because we're feeling so anxious about it. Yeah, or, or we hold it in and we hold it in. And then finally, when we get the courage to say something, it's because we've reached a breaking point. And what ends up coming out sounds a lot more serious than what would have come out, say, you know, two years ago, if you had just yeah. kind of said it the first time it mm -hmm. came to mind, right? I wonder, if, you know, like, I, who knows, like, I, since I'm sitting here and Patty and Dave's house, Dave Sr. Um, you know, the way that I was uh, introduced to sex was by having one of my parents hand me a cassette tape from a religious person called James Dobson. And I put it on while I was mowing the lawn. And the framing of what sex was through the lens of this very conservative religious voice really informed the way that I felt about sex for a very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, in some ways, uh, I can appreciate that, man, good intentions can sometimes lead to bad execution. And also, I can't help but think, like, man, learn from a little of how your introduction had in some, sometimes there was shame, sometimes there was embarrassment, sometimes there was, you know, like there was a whole host of things and I wonder if maybe that first conversation had been different, if the permission that I would have felt or the normalness that would have come in having a conversation would have been a little bit different. Can you talk just for a second about like how the introduction or that first sex talk informs the way that there is healthiness or unhealthiness in sex for the rest of your stinking life? Well, wait, actually, first, I just want to say you're the first person I've ever heard of who had the talk through a cassette tape. So very <laughs> special. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I mean, what what you described is such a common experience, whether it's through a cassette tape or through some <laughs> other means. I think most of our first experiences talking about sex is our parents having the talk or, you know, whatever the proxy is. So the cassette in your case. <laughs> and so, yeah, the, and the message that we end up receiving from that is, well, it's an awkward conversation. That's probably because our parents 
aren't very comfortable talking about sex with each other. They're definitely not comfortable talking about sex with you. And the example you just gave, Dave, it sounds like they were so uncomfortable to talk about sex with you that they gave you, they literally outsourced it to, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to a cassette tape, right? So of course we pick up on that energy. You know, Vanessa picked up on the fact that her parents were obviously very embarrassed, didn't actually want her to ask any questions. And so she immediately said, okay, I have questions but I'm not going to ask. And so all of us come away with whatever energy we get in, you know, that, that first conversation or the first couple conversations. And I, I know for me, I had an awkward, the talk with, with my dad. And then, you know, early on, you know, if I trace back my relationship history, I definitely had, you know, awkward moments when it came to talking about sex or sort of like a, you know, someone asking like, what's your fantasy and kind of freezing up or those type of things where I came away with, you know, all these early experiences of every time we talk about it, it's awkward, it's shameful, I feel embarrassed. So, and that's just so common. So of course you end up carrying all that with you. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage, to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow, whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits. Shopify helps you sell everywhere, from their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. And Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast it's such an interesting thing i was i was raised in a very conservative christian household there were some like pretty serious things suggested about when you should or shouldn't or if you did what you were and I I think in part because of some of how the conversation started and the way that it had been framed, I didn't feel comfortable coming to have a conversation about almost anything because I was so mm -hmm. like interested in being good or right that mm -hmm. uh, having any kind of a follow-up conversation <laughs> after my cassette tape ordeal <laughs> um, just felt like, oh man, you're going to get in trouble, don't get in trouble. And I can see looking back on my life, you know, in like my late teens and my early 20s that like, man, it would have been really lovely to actually be able to have a conversation with someone who could have um, helped me appreciate some of the nuances of yeah. what the heck all of this is. I was driving home from a, a baseball tournament with my son. He's in traveling baseball. He's 14. And I... Um, <laughs> am really interested to understand, hey, like what's actually happening? Like th this is a young age. Like at 14, I didn't get to, I didn't even talk to a girl. I was tall, skinny, super dorky and nerdy. And also <laughs> he's a stud uh, on the sports teams. And I, I just I, like was nervous, like, hey, and I opened up a conversation 
that I was surprised how hard it was for me to want to answer his questions honestly, because I'd like to almost like kind of guide him to really staying away from anything that could create deep heartache or have him like all the things. Cause there is just, there's so much that comes with it, but also I wanted to create this like kind of open space so that if he actually finds himself contemplating doing something, me telling him not to do something or warning him about how it's going to be and then not having a space for conversation ain't going to stop mm-hmm. him from doing a stinking thing. And mm-hmm. so we had what was a beautiful and also for me a little uncomfortable conversation as he asked me things that I was like, oh, my God, sir, I can't believe that you're <laughs> asking. Um but the appreciation that he had for my honesty actually ended up acting as an invitation for him to come back when it was time next for something. And God bless him. Ain't nothing happened with this 14-year-old. I want to like celebrate good times. Come on. But, but like at a minimum, if it's two years or four years or eight years from now, at least he knows foundationally that there's a safe space. If someone's yeah. listening and they've got a kid, and by the way, could be rooted in religion where they want to tell him like, wait until you get married to have sex. Is there, is there a way that you recommend creating that space so that if they decide to be kids who are kids that don't want to listen to any of what you're saying, (laughs) they at least are invited to come into and have a conversation with someone who can help kind of explain the nuances of what's happening, make sure that they're being safe, all the rest. One of the big fears that comes up for parents is if we talk about this openly, it will be seen as permission for Mm. the kid to go do whatever they want or like the more information they have, the more sexual they will be. And there's actually research showing that that's just not true. The more information kids have, the more confident they feel to make healthy and safe decisions for themselves. So the fact that you're having these conversations with your son, that he's coming back to you to have more conversations is such a great sign. And you can even say that directly to your child of like, you know, I want you to feel safe to, to ask me whatever questions you have to give, you know, whatever information you want to know. And I will share with you, you know, my opinion of what I think you should do or what I think I wish I could have done when I was at that age, what does feel healthy. But, you know, I know that you're you're going to make your own decisions and I want you to be equipped with that. The other great thing about kids is that you can be really honest with them about your shortcomings. Like you can say to your son, I, man, this conversation is hard for me. I am glad you're asking. I appreciate it. I'm doing my best. I have some shame that I'm working through and it's important to me to do that work. So I think kids respect that a lot. And you can even loop back around. If you have a conversation that you feel like you didn't really handle so well, go back to your kid and say, you know what? You came to me, you had some questions. I don't love the way that I answered them. So I want to get a take two at that. And I so think good. I think also um, like just to validate for people out there. Yeah, this stuff is awkward. And of course, it's awkward because of all the reasons we just discussed <laughs> about our own experiences. But I think that the key, especially whether it's whether it's having these talks with your kids or having these talks with your partners, I think the important thing is how we show up next after having an awkward experience. Because, you know, the the message that you got from your parents, the message I got from my parents and Vanessa got from hers was there was one awkward experience and then there were no more experiences. And so what we learned was, oh, awkward equals no go. We don't do it again. So I think (laughs) I think the key is is 
you know, feeling into, okay, yeah, that was super awkward. That felt awkward. I'm going to acknowledge that that was awkward and I'm going to choose to do it again. I'm going to show up again. And that's how we get through awkwardness is we have to really feel it and we have to choose to continue doing things that maybe feel awkward. But the more we choose to do them, the less awkward they'll feel. And I think our kids or our partners or whomever in life will appreciate, hey, this person is really showing up and working through this. Oh, love that. I uh, I know that if you have awkward, it can sometimes be followed by awkward. And I will just tell you, I know this from personal experience in that uh, just as I was getting my driver's license, I wanted to be cool with my friends. And I went and stole, like larceny, the uh, table card. It was a little triangle at Carl's Jr. that had the number 69 on it. Now, I did it because I'd been told by my friends that there was this thing that was like, whatever, like it had this like status. And I was like, oh, I want to be cool. And I can still remember. I mean, the man is standing like 18 feet behind me. I drove my car home. I'd had my license for two weeks. This number is now sitting on my dashboard. Like what (laughs) in the world? It's so embarrassing now to even acknowledge this. And he said, do you know what that means? Like, do you know what, do you know what this is? And I was like, I don't, but I know that my friends think it is very cool. And then it required an even more awkward conversation to dive into what it was before I had to drive back to Carl's Jr. and drop her back off. Uh, So anyway, there I think is some benefit to um, pulling the bandaid off with some of the awkwardness so that you can just have every other conversation feel a little less awkward for sure. In the book, You guys have broken it into three different parts and it's followed by a quiz. But the first part talks about destroying the fairy tale. For the listener, will you tell (laughs) what this fairy tale is and why there needs to be destruction? We talk about the way that we see sex on TV and movies, kind of like what I was alluding to earlier. We see the scene, it always unfolds in the same way, right? Like the characters, they just look at each other. There's no initiation of sex. It's like, you just look at each other and it's on. You're dashing into the bedroom 10 seconds later, clothes are flying off. It's wildly passionate. There's only ever intercourse that you're seeing, and it's about 10 seconds of rolling around in the sheets, and everybody magically has an orgasm at the exact same time. How great. And I know, it sounds delightful. (laughs) (laughs) So when we see sex portrayed this way over and over for our entire lifetimes, of course, we internalize. That's what it's supposed to look like. And so in the book, we get really vulnerable about our own sex life and we really break down, you know, that's not what sex looks like in real life. And it's okay if that's not what your sex life looks like. So many of us have this idea that something's wrong with us. Maybe we're not in the right relationship. We're not with the right person if our sex life doesn't look the way we see it on screen. And we just wanted to demolish that belief. I love it. The, the second big section is all about the different sex talks to have. The book, again, it's called Sex Talks. It came out on Tuesday. It is available wherever you can buy books. So if you are interested in either spicing up or uh, maybe resuscitating your uh, <laughs> sex life, there is a now perfect guide for you to dive into so you can have the right kind of conversations. But there are five conversations in this second section that... Um, you walk the reader through so that they can have them in pursuit of this hope for a better, more meaningful sex life. Could you just take us through beat by beat through what those five are without giving too much of what's in the book away? 
Yeah, we're happy to give the full five conversations. We'll let you know what's coming. (laughs) So the first conversation is acknowledgement. It's like sex is a thing and we have it. So one of the big mistakes that most of us make when it comes to talking about sex is like we were saying earlier, we don't have these conversations. We wait until something's really bad. That just makes sex feel like a scary topic. So we wanted to start on a completely different note and ease the reader into it. We know people are going to be feeling embarrassed and uncomfortable picking up this book. So we start easy, promise you. (laughs) Plus that's one of the best ways to to defeat that awkwardness, right? Is instead of trying to have a big complex conversation, it's it's figuring out how we can make sex an everyday type of topic so that it doesn't feel awkward. Yeah. So the converse the second conversation is connection. What do we need to feel connected to each other? Because for so many couples in long-term relationships, we start to feel like strangers to each other. We feel like we're roommates rather than romantic partners. And that can make intimacy feel like such a high bar. You know, if you've been disconnected all day, then you get into the bedroom at night, there's an awkwardness to it. It's like, hey, who are you? (laughs) You know? So this conversation is all about subtle and easy ways for couples to maintain that sense of emotional intimacy throughout the day so they feel close to each other and it feels easier to connect physically. Then we move into conversation number three, desire. What do we need to feel turned on and excited about being intimate with each other? So another area that a lot of us in long-term relationships struggle with, like, why is it not so easy? It's just giving each other the look. <laughs> yeah. Why does it not just happen naturally or spontaneously? Mm-hmm, it's not just so locking, much, the, yeah. locking the bedroom door is the sign that something's about to go down. <laughs> yeah. We covered much more fun ways to initiate sex. Uh, one of the models that we share in there is the initiation style. It's kind of similar to the love languages, like we all have a style that we like sex to be initiated in. So that's one of the exercises there. The fourth conversation is pleasure. What do we need to feel good? To have you just made enjoyable... somebody feel uncomfortable on this podcast who's listening right now. Wait, pleasure is a part of sex? What are we talking uh-huh. about? <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, that's a big one. And there's a lot of great information in that chapter about the differences in the way male and female pleasure work that a lot of people don't understand, again, because of the way we see sex in the movies. And then we wrap things up with conversation five, exploration. What should we try next? So we've all heard the advice to keep it spicy, try new things in the bedroom, but this conversation is about making it really practical. And we even give you a menu of options to choose from so you're not left feeling on the spot. Like, I don't even know what new things to try. (laughs) What are my options? I don't get it. And also how to talk about that without it feeling like, like you were kind of alluding to this earlier, Dave, of like suggesting trying something new as as like an insult to the other partner that that whatever like you know whatever else they were doing wasn't working for mm-hmm. you so i think you know that's one of those that's one of the reasons why a lot of people are you know worried about having those types of conversations so we wanted to really break down that conversation and do it in a really fun way that that isn't going to feel like anyone is getting blamed or or insulted yeah, yeah. Initiating sex is an interesting thing, uh, especially I think if you end up being the person who has a little higher libido or a little more desire. Mm -hmm. Are there any tips or tricks for, well, initiation, maybe generally speaking, Mm -hmm. but also if you're a partner who continues to suggest that, you know what, you're not in the mood, it's not the right time, I'm not feeling it, whatever, 
if there's a desire for an exceptional relationship, I'm going to guess that there's some want of, ah, wouldn't it be great if my libido were just in line or closer to this partner who's always asking for sex? Any tips on, on how to initiate in a way that isn't going to make you feel like crap if you get turned down and uh, and maybe even you know like how to turn down in a way that doesn't make your partner feel like crap if you're in the mo- if you're not in the mood mm-hmm. um, and then beyond that it like how to kind of tweak libido that's a lot of questions in one question but <laughs> i know there are people who need this answer well fortunately well, the okay. i think i think the bulk of the book really kind of untangles that whole question i think that that's really one of the key the key mm-hmm. issues in long-term relationships. Okay, let's start with the initiation part of it. We'll go through all the different pieces. So when it comes to initiation, the biggest thing that happens in long-term relationships is that we stop making very much of an effort because initiation is vulnerable. You're putting yourself out there. You're asking for something. You're in the position of being turned down. So most of us, if we're really honest with ourselves, you know, ask yourself, what does sex look like when you initiate it? It's usually like, I guess, like, should we do it? It's been a while. Or Probably I, should, right? Hey, want to do it? Yeah. Well, <laughs> like that doesn't sound very fun or exciting. So, I mean, think about, imagine you want to go see a friend of yours and you're calling them up to invite them to hang out. You're not going to tell your friend like, hey, been a while. Guess we should hang, right? Like, yeah. you're like, hey, there's this new restaurant that just opened. What if we got drinks at the place around the corner? I can't wait to see you. Like, there's an excitement to it, right? So, the main tip with initiation is we need to bring some excitement into it. It needs to feel like an invitation, something that somebody is going to want to say yes to. So, that's where the initiation styles comes in is understanding the way that your partner is going to get excited about being initiated. I, okay, before we go to the next piece, because I, I want to like spend two seconds on this. So <laughs> if someone who's listening has a higher libido than their husband or a higher libido than their wife, they have uh, been the initiation specialist for some length of time, mm-hmm. and their energy around initiation is commensurate with feeling like, ah, I can't ever get a yes. How do you kind of like shake that rut? How do you get somebody who maybe feels a little discouraged or maybe like, oh, is there something wrong with me that I keep getting a no to feel like mm-hmm. they can bring that energy? So a super practical thing that couples can do is take a minute to think about what were some of your favorite ways that your partner has ever initiated sex with you? So go back through the whole span of your relationship. Think about it. See if you can identify like at least two to three different times your partner has initiated that you really like and then share those with each other. Because if we don't know, if you know, if I don't know the way that Xander likes to be initiated, I might be really missing him in the ways that I'm actually trying to do it. So if you can share those with each other, that can give you guys more confidence to initiate because you know that your partner's going to be excited and it just gives you specific ways to do it. They're going to be a little more exciting than want to do it. And if that sounds complicated, because I can totally understand how it's hard to think back like through the entire history of your relationship and, and pull out, you know, a couple of those really exciting times. So if you're not immediately thinking of something, I think the initiation styles in the book are so valuable because you can you can read through them in each you and your partner can each find okay like I really identify with this one or you know both of these I really identify with and that's going to be able to give your partner the information of oh, okay this is what you like because the reality is when we don't know what it is that really works for our partner 
you know, we, we see the world through our own eyes. We kind of operate the way we think that I assume, oh, Vanessa would like to be initiated with the way that I would like to be initiated yeah. with. And that's a totally normal thing to do until you've had that conversation and you can understand, you know, just like the love languages, you know, oh, okay. You know, she, she wants compliments, you know, she doesn't want physical touch or whatever the case is. <laughs> nope. Totally makes sense. Okay. If you are listening right now and you're struggling to turn your partner down without hurting their feelings, what is, what is something that you can give as a tip or a trick for um, the turn down, but in a way that doesn't demoralize? This is something we get into in the book as well, because it's so important for couples to learn how to do this, because there is a potential for it to feel hurtful. And if you are the person who's always initiating, and you're always getting turned down, of course, that's going to start to feel really vulnerable, and you're not going to want to continue doing it. So if your partner's initiating sex with you, you're just not in the mood, the best thing to do is give them a specific reason, but tie it into your ability to show up in the way that you would want to during sex. So everybody's had, had the excuse of like, oh, I have a headache. That doesn't feel very like yeah. authentic, right? Like you're like, okay, yeah, sure. You have a headache. But if I, if, let's say Xander initiates with me, I'm not in the mood. I tell him, you know, my stomach is just killing me right now. I have a really bad stomach ache and I appreciate that you want to be intimate. I want to be intimate with you, but I'm just afraid that I'm going to be paying so much attention to my stomach. I'm not going to be able to be present in the moment with you and connected with you and enjoy it the way that we usually do. So that, you know, even just that little bit of a tweak makes it clear to him that I'm turning down sex in this moment for this reason, but I'm not turning down you as a person. And then for, for added bonus points, <laughs> if you have something else that that you are up for that you can offer in that moment, that can be a really nice thing to do where it's like, okay, so I'm, I'm not up for, you know, I'm not up for sex or for intercourse or whatever. How about we lie on the couch and cuddle for a couple of minutes, you know, like my stomach hurts, but I, you know, I, I'm up for that, something like that, because very often when we just say no, that kind of severs the connection. You know, I, I'm feeling vulnerable because I just initiated, she said no, and then we feel that awkwardness and we kind of pull apart. Oh, okay. I guess we're not on the same page. I guess we're doing something different. So if you're able to pivot to something else that's going to be emotionally connecting, that's that's a really nice olive branch. And it's a way for you to, to end up feeling closer, you know, after the experience rather than, you know, oh, a no, just me. Every time we say no, it just means that we disconnect. Oh, so good. I mean, here's the thing. I think that there are times when someone wants to say no and then is like feeling almost guilty for having said no a, a certain number of times. And I just know, I mean, for myself, I just know this. If there isn't a, a, like an interest in coming into a sexual moment with all of this excitement and all of the, I'm not interested in the, uh, well, I'll, uh, you know, break you off a piece to try and, you know, keep mm -hmm. you happy. Cause that doesn't, it doesn't feel as satisfying. It's not the thing that people I think are hoping for or, or looking for. Um, being able no, to that, say no. That's a, it's a really good point. And I think that, sorry to cut you off, but I have to jump in on this because I think this is a really crucial misunderstanding that a lot of women in relationships with men have. A lot of women will say, oh, I'll just throw him a bone, you know, fine, I'll just do it for him. But if you're, as a woman, if you're having sex,
sex out of a sense of obligation, if you're forcing yourself to do it, it's not going to be an enjoyable experience for you. And that is going to erode your sex drive even further. Because why would you crave something that's an unenjoyable obligation type of experience? And it's not going to be enjoyable for your partner because your partner can pick up on the fact. Yeah, like, I'm sorry, but like nobody, maybe somebody wants that, but I don't want, no, I don't think that's Mm -hmm. a thing that you want. Yeah, you can tell, right, when your partner's just like lying there, letting you do your thing. And like men don't like that. So I want women to understand that because a woman should be able to say no. She should be able to say no without guilt. But forcing yourself to say yes, it's not helping anybody. That's not what men want. Yep. All right. You say that there are eight golden rules that are going to set up all of your conversations for success. Can you take us through the eight golden rules? Oh my goodness. Yeah, well, we can go through a couple of them. Uh, we won't we won't pain you with going through all eight of them. But one of my favorite ones, <laughs> one of my favorite ones is using I language, talking about your own experience. So this is a trick that you'll pick up in any psychology 101 class. Your therapist will always teach it to you because it's such a good one that especially when it comes to sex, if we talk about our partner, if I come in hot at Xander and I say, you never initiate sex and you never kiss me anymore and why don't you ever seem to want me, he's instantly going to be on the defensive, right? I mean, who wouldn't? It's it's understandable. But when we can speak to our own experiences, it helps soften the moment. It helps our conversations have a better chance of being successful. And it also forces you to get clear on what it is that you want. So Mm. if I'm just telling him, you never initiate. Okay, but what is it that I want? Do I want him to initiate more often? Do I maybe want him to say yes when I initiate more often? Do I want him to initiate in a certain sort of way? Do I want us to be having more sex? Like there's so many different wants that could be behind that accusation. So using that kind of language makes you get in touch with it. Oh, and you just cued me up for a really for a, the sec for another one, which is perfect, which is we we like to say stop using the words always and never because mm. those those just shift the conversation into a logistical conversation or an argument. Because like if Vanessa just said, oh, you never initiate with me, then what happens in my mind is I immediately, I I forget about any of the possible emotion or the need or you know the ask behind that. And I just go into defense. I go, she said, I never initiate. When was the last time I initiated? Oh, I initiated two weeks ago. Boom, I'm right, you're wrong. So you immediately you know, turn it into this black and white thing and you just kind of sweep aside whatever emotional need was there and you shut down the conversation. So that's another huge one is we like to say, never use never and always. <laughs> never use never and always. That one question I asked a while back, there was like nine parts to it. We forgot to get to one part and I want to come back to it. Oh, uh-huh, the, the libido desire. part. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if, if someone who's listening is struggling to feel excited about sex and they're like legit interested in trying to jumpstart libido so that they can get back in the game, are there things that they can do that might activate libido in a way that doesn't exist today? This ties in really well with what we were just talking about in the book. We detail the connection between our enjoyment of sex and our desire for it. And this is something that a lot of us just don't put together until we hear it laid out that way. 
But if sex is not an enjoyable experience for you, like, for example, you're one of those women who's forcing yourself to say yes, throwing him a bone, just going along. Yeah, with I was going to say these two things go so well together. Yeah. yeah, your libido is just going to tank. So oftentimes when we are talking to couples who have mismatched libidos, we discover that it's actually more about mismatched levels of enjoyment during sex than it is about the libido. And especially for male-female couples, one of the biggest culprits in the mismatch of enjoyment is that a lot of us women aren't getting stimulation of the most sensitive part of our body, which is the clitoris. So it's kind of like we're having sex. It'd be like asking a man, do you enjoy having sex when you have zero contact with your penis? Like, I think most men are going to say no. (laughs) No, it's like, you know, maybe I'll get kind of turned on and maybe like ready to go. And then that excitement is going to (laughs) fade. So So more clitoral stimulation is the key to more enjoyment, which can lead to more desire. I think another thing that I would say about about libido or firing up your libido is that I think we very often misunderstand the way that libido works because we see it portrayed in a single way, you know, in the fairy tale on TV and in the movies, which is what uh, we refer to as spontaneous libido or spontaneous sex drive, which is where the idea for sex just comes out of nowhere. We think about it randomly throughout the day and we think about it and we go immediately go, oh, that sounds good. That's something that that I might want to do. And then, you know, maybe if our partner is around, then maybe we go and try to initiate sex. But the reality is there is a second type of sex drive that many people, uh, that many people have. uh, Yeah. And also, yeah, a majority of women have the sex drive type, which is called responsive sex drive. And so with responsive sex drive, the idea for sex doesn't sound good until you've already started having some stimulation or maybe even in the middle or at the end of sex. So we'll hear from a lot of women who say, huh, like, I don't really want sex. I don't find myself wanting it very often. But then once I get to the end of sex or I'm in the middle, I'm like, huh, this is awesome. Why, why don't I want this more? Right. So so if we can understand what type we are, that can help re reframe a bit because you know if you're responsive then it's not like it's not like oh to have a higher sex drive i need to just be thinking about sex more randomly like that's not going to happen that's just not the way that you're wired so it's more of okay what are ways that i can you know bring some more you know stimulation of my body into play or be open to more of that so let's say that uh, libido is working but as much as uh partner knows where clitoris is the moves are always the same right like there's almost like a i already i know how to get from point a to point b and you find yourself just in a little tiny bit of a rut there's still orgasm there's still pleasure there's still connection but you're using the same moves every single time because you know those moves work how do you approach exploration or trying new things or mixing it up or spicing it up and um, I don't know. Like I tend to be an, if it ain't broke, don't fix it kind of person. But I also <laughs> know that like nobody's going to be super, super excited about doing the same thing over and over, even if there's still a good outcome. How do you explore? Expor- how do you explore exploration? That's a weird question. Yeah, <laughs> very meta. Yeah, we actually open up that chapter with that conversation of me detailing what sex can very easily look like when Xander and I are just in that like, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. And I was reading it to Xander and he's like, I feel attacked. 
(laughs) But it's very easy when we're in long-term relationships. We find the things that work and it's like, okay, just keep doing the thing. And then we're scripting out, you know, we know exactly what's coming. We know all the moves. So it's great to have a reliable routine that you know works, but trying new things in the bedroom really is the key to keeping your sex life feeling exciting. Trying new things with your partner outside of the bedroom too is, is also been shown to increase intimacy and those feelings of excitement, those butterflies that we all miss having from the beginning stages of our relationship. So the thing with trying new things though, There's a lot of people hear that phrase and they get really anxious because their brain immediately leaps to the wildly kinky stuff. Of course. (laughs) I knew you were going to say it. Yeah. It's like you got to do all the Fifty Shades of Grey stuff and like we're hanging from the rafters and all kinds of stuff is going on. So people get very self-conscious. That feels like too big of a leap. So the approach that we take in sex talks is that even small changes can make a big difference. So a great example is sex positions. You don't have to be hanging upside down on your head, standing up against the wall or anything Jack, we, like that. We recommend against that. Yes. <laughs> but even something as simple as like changing where, you know, your limbs are or changing where you're holding your weight can actually make a surprisingly big difference. I mean, we've had experiences ourselves of just making a little shift and you're like, whoa, this feels completely different. So start with those small changes first. That'll give you the confidence to keep going and trying bigger things. This is a fun conversation. I didn't expect (laughs) that I would uh, enjoy it as much as I have (laughs) or that I would enjoy it in my parents' house. Uh, But I I really do appreciate it. Um, Again, the book is called Sex Talks. It came out on Tuesday. It's available anywhere that you want to buy books. The subtitle is Five Conversations That Will Transform Your Love Life. Sex is an important part of a meaningful, committed relationship. I uh, hope that if you are interested in spicing up or resuscitating your sex life, that you will check it out. For people that don't already know your work or are interested in knowing more about your work, Vanessa Zander, where do you send people on the internet? We hang out a lot over on Instagram. You can find us at Vanessa and Xander. We do daily stories there. And that was really some of the inspiration for the book. So many people would tell us, watching your stories made me feel more comfortable with sex. Like my partner and I would watch together and we get to talk about, hey, what did you think about what Vanessa said? Do you agree with Xander? So that's a great starting point too, but you can catch us there. Uh, We have all the information about the book is at sextalksbook.com. If you order and and enter your information on that page. We'll send you a free workbook that goes along with the book. And we also have a $30 discount towards our sex or connection challenges that we're doing right now for Valentine's Day. And then, yeah, over at vmtherapy.com is where you can find all the other information on all the courses and guides that we offer, plus all kinds of other fun information about us. (laughs) Fantastic. All right. We'll put it in the show notes. Make sure there's some links. If uh, if you are listening to this on a device of any kind, you should see it in the device that you are on right now. All right. With uh, the last question, each time I ask the guests if there is a single thing that is on their hearts, in their minds, in their soul that they believe that the audience is desperate in need of, and it can be a quote, can be an inspirational thing, it could be an excerpt out of the book, it could be literally anything. Uh, What do you think the audience today needs to hear from the two of you? I want the audience to understand that 
whatever challenges they might be having in their sex life are very normal and common. You know, we share so many personal stories in the book of tough times that we went through in our own sex life, mismatched libidos, low libidos, performance anxiety, orgasm problems, because we really want people to understand that it's okay to have challenges come up. You're not broken. Nothing's wrong. And these things are all overcomable <laughs> with these kinds of conversations. So I hope people feel like they're normal and they're not alone and just feel excited to have these conversations and create that intimacy that they've always been wanting. Yeah, I, I hope people feel excited to start talking about sex, to talk about sex more, because not only is talking about sex, having these five conversations going to transform your love life, it's having these type of conversations are going to make you feel more connected. You're going to feel like you have a stronger relationship. You're just going to be happier and more confident. So it's not just about sex. You know, sex is just an, it's an integral part of relationships and talking about it is, is a great way to honor your entire relationship. Well, Vanessa and Xander, I appreciate you guys. This was a really, really fun conversation. Again, last time book is called sex talks, five conversations that will transform your love life. And uh, if you enjoyed this episode or think that other humans in your circle would benefit from listening to it, please share it in your socials, tag Vanessa, Xander, and myself, and uh, spread the word, because this is something that is unnecessarily taboo that will absolutely create additional intimacy and connection in your relationship. And Frank, you deserve it, frankly. So uh, I hope that you will uh, lean into some of the uncomfortable, push through it, and uh, get to a place where it's just super comfortable for you to have a conversation about sex with your partner. Xander and Vanessa, thank you guys so much for being here. I appreciate Thanks for having us, Dave. It's been really fun. Yeah, I appreciate you. you sharing some of your embarrassing stories. Oh, uh, there's plenty of embarrassing <laughs> stories to go around. Trust me, we could do a thousand episodes. We will not run out. All right, y'all. Uh, between now and uh, next week's episodes, I hope you have a fantastic week. Uh, and I hope that uh, you're encouraged to explore a little bit of your own sexuality so that you can have a deeper, richer, more meaningful relationship with the person you love between now and then. Take care, and thanks for listening to the Rise Together podcast. Well, thank you for listening to another episode. I appreciate you all being here so, so much. Before you go, I just want to make mention of one thing that I am so excited about. My daughter, Noah, and I have put together a delightful, an amazing, a wonderful children's picture book. It's based on the fun video series that we've done online called Tea Time with Noah. And it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It, uh, it comes out on November 8th. And it's a book that hopefully encourages children to be brave, to believe in themselves, to dream big. Uh, in this, our first adventure, Noah has this big dream of becoming a sea captain. She realizes in pursuing this dream that it's not all smooth sailing. She doesn't know how to captain, doesn't have a ship, doesn't know how to build one. And that process of having to learn and try and fail and get back up teaches her that she has so much of what she's always needed already inside of her and that every time it didn't go her way, it equipped her with some skills that allowed her to be even stronger and more resilient and believe more in herself on the other side. Again, it's called Here's to Your Dreams. It comes out on November 8th and you can get it anywhere books are sold. For more info, head to the link in the show notes or to here's to your dreams.com.